Hey everyone, before we get started, don't forget to subscribe, click on that notification bell, like, dislike, comment, let us know what you're thinking. You could also follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Now, today, on the Angel of Words podcast, we have licensed clinical social worker and host of Beauteous Me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts, Miss Jamili Whitfield on deck on the Angel of Words podcast. Hello, welcome to the Angel of Words podcast. I am your host, Angel of Words. And today with us, we have Miss Jamili Whitfield, clinic, uh, licensed clinical social worker and host of the podcast, Beauty Is Me. Miss Whitfield, hello. Thank you for joining the Angel of Words podcast today. Hi, Angel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored and blessed to be here and to spend this time with your audience. So... Ready to go. Super excited. Well, I'm happy that you have that kind of energy because what we will be talking about today is reality. Yeah. Is things that I haven't liked uh, seeing, um, you know, basically throughout the course of my life and uh, my life and things that um, apparently bother you as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason why I chose to re reach out to you is because uh, my my uh, one of my co-producers here on the angel words podcast was like man like this girl that i follow on instagram who i've known for a while mm -hmm. a friend of mine feels exactly the same way you do and we're talking about the african diaspora here in america and in uh, latino america yeah and the denial of your blackness and acting like it doesn't exist it bothers me uh miss whitfield when i hear words like cocolo mm -hmm. moyo mm -hmm. haitianos mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And you know what's How crazy? How does that make you when feel? When I was thinking about the conversation this morning, because I couldn't sleep last night. It was just uh, whatever. But when I was thinking about the conversation, I was like, I haven't heard more you in a long time. And look how you, you brought it up. It's these words that interculturally that we've said that's been engraved in us for us to say. And I'm, I'm going to share that when... You know, growing up in America, because I grew up in America, but my I'm first generation from my parents who are Dominican, and they came to the United States looking for what everybody's looking for, a better opportunity, work, et cetera, et cetera. And so when you grow up, I grew up in Washington Heights. When you grow up with your own, with your kind, with your people, um, it, it kind of keeps you in a box, right? So this is what you see. Dominicans, this is who we are. All Boricuas, they're like this. All Moreno, you gotta be careful. All this, all this. So it's it's everyone always comparing themselves to another, right? Instead of us looking at each other as human beings. And so my experiences, I went, I grew up in Washington Heights, but my school was closer to Harlem because we were like the beginning of Washington Heights. And I remember my brother being beat up by what they call a Moreno, right? And so it was portrayed by my grandmother that you have to be careful with the Moreno. And I put it in quotes. You have to be careful that they're dangerous and that they're going to hurt you. And so you see that my brother's in fifth grade. He got beat up by one. Oh, my God, is this true? And so you keep growing up and you start listening to, to minor things. And if you see my grandmother, may she rest in peace. 
bien trigueña, real trigueña, old school, Dominican. You could tell she has a good percentage of Taino in her. Bien trigueña. Really dead hair, beautiful. But she would look and frown upon black people and African-Americans because in the countries and what they were saying that there's violence, that there's this. And so you come here and you start assuming and thinking that they're all this way, right? So that's your first experience. Then you grow up and you have no friends, right? No friends who are African-American because most of my friends were what? Latino. And I look and watch the heights in my neighborhood until you start branching off. Then you go to middle school and you find a friend and you're like, oh, wait, you Haitian. Haiti's like they by the Dominican Republic. But you start to skin, but you speak a little bit of Spanish, but you also speak this. You start wondering and questioning yourself. It's not till you get to high school, right, that you start really integrating with a lot of different people. It's not till you get to college. It's not till you start asking questions, who am I? Who am I? And what, what is made of me? Because I don't really fit in here. I don't fit in with the Dominican Dominicans because I wasn't born and raised in VR, right? fit in with the Puerto Ricans, but I vibe with them. We look alike, right? Um, I'm not black. Quote, unquote, again, I'm going to say, I'm not black. I'm Dominican. Who am I? And so when you start searching and start asking questions and you're sitting with your ancestors, and I say ancestors because none of my grandmothers are here, so now they're my ancestors, you start reflecting. Abuela, where did our family come from? And when I sat one day with my grandmother in VR, rocking the chair in El Patio, I was like, Abuela, ¿de dónde viene la familia? Where's the family from? We have Taino, we have European, and we have African. But what's interesting with all of that is that when we talk about the European, the light, your face lights up. Oh, que la familia tú sabes que éramos de España con los ojos claros y con el pelo bueno, lo que sea. That's how your mom got her hair. That we're from Spain, you got like clear eyes and beautiful skin. You hear... Um, white in the, the race, white in the family. Don't bring a black guy. So what's interesting is that my parents never, never instilled that in me, in my siblings or anything. But I would hear that from my grandmother. And so I asked those questions. And to be quite frankly honest, I was happy when I learned that I had African in me. I was like, oh, so that's what makes Dominicans okay. I got African. I love African music. Yeah. I love drums. I love this. Like, this is a whole different spiel. And... To me, it was different. It was different. I wasn't, I, it was like, okay, we have the Spaniard side, but that never interested me. Quite frankly, it never interested me at all. And so but it I seems go, to interest a lot of people, though. <laughs> it does, right? You think, I, and mean, then, look, you know, I mean, and look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm light-skinned Afro-Latina, right? Look, yeah. look at my hair, right? Yeah. I'm light-skinned yeah. Afro-Latina. You know, you and I, we could be siblings. You could be Puerto Rican or Dominican or whatever. Like, you know, we all have an intermix of things, but... We get so caught up in this separation, segregation of who's better than who, who's lighter than who. And so in, in school, when you're le learning about the civil rights movement and slavery and everything, and you go to the yard and you're like, well, why is she, why is she cleaning our floors? Why this one is cooking the food? They're darker than us. Having these conversations with my parents that I was like, I don't feel comfortable. Don't, don't have a maid here while we're here visiting. Because it made me feel uncomfortable. I don't want to be served by a black woman. I don't. Yeah. Get yourself a white woman to serve us. Like, that's just how I felt at that point. Um, and, and so you see the disparities, right? And I've always dated darker skinned guys. My son's father, he's Afro-Latino too. 
she's Colombian and Dominican, bien trigueño, as they would say, right? I didn't lighten up the race. I was very different, very different from everyone else in my family. Yeah. Everyone else in my family. And my husband, my husband's African-American. And so where do I feel connected is that. Yeah, and we don't have these conversations, you know. We have these conversations in the dark. Yeah. And, you know, and I'll be honest with you, as this is going on in our country, you know, in America right now, and and, and everything's brought, being brought out into the light, I'm like, well, while we're on while we're on this subject, let's talk about it. Let's talk about let's it. Let's talk about let's it. Talk because about it, it happens too much. My grandmother too. Don't bring don't bring no don't bring no black women into the home. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you know, the black man has, has become the boogeyman right. all over the world. Right. That's why there's protests all over the world. And Absolutely. I'm like, yo, how did this happen? And how did this happen within our culture, the, the, you know the, the, the Latino culture, with the African diaspora being so large, with millions and millions of, uh, of dark-skinned Latinos, 79%, 65%, because I'm going to keep it to, to um, Dominican, Puerto Rican, because you're Dominican, I'm Puerto Rican. 65% of, of Puerto Ricans have some kind of African descent in them, 70 percent of Dominicans have some kind of uh, uh, of descent in them. Pew Research Center for all my people that always uh, who who, who want to say that th these aren't facts. They're facts. You can look them oh, up I online if you need to. Yeah, yeah. You, you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, and I'm like, like you know, how could you deny? Your what roots. you are uh, and, and and deny your roots and, and call people with, with such de derogatory names. But you I'll know. tell you why. I'll tell you why, Angel. You know why? Because we why? aired on the side of the colonizer. The colonizer has told us that white was better. You know, if we took a page out of Haiti's book, if we sat there because Española was, was colonized by two separate sides, it was Spain and the French, and, and the Haitians spanked the French. They Thank them. Okay, the they first country in the Caribbean to get their independence, but without you know the help of outside influences. Exactly. And what did that do? That scared. That scared all of the other colonizers. They were like, "Hold up! If I find somebody a little lighter, I'm gonna make you feel better. I'm gonna make you feel better, and I'm gonna make you feel better that this is better, that this lightness is better, and that I'm going to help you and I'm going to improve you." So now we're gonna take away from Haiti. We're gonna make them the worst. We're gonna take off their resources so that we're not combined together, so that you can see you need us. And so it's always engraved. Look, they were bad. They fought them, and look how worse they are. They're poor. They're this. They're that. The stories that we're saying about them, the terrible stories. My husband always says this. My husband, and, and he, he, every time we talk about race and ethnicity, he says, I couldn't be a slave because I'd be the one to be killed right away because I'd start a revolution. I'd be like, you, 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 let's go. Because it's 500 of us, and it's like 30 of them, and it's 30 of them mind messing with us, mind telling us, mind effing us and saying that we're nothing without them. And so Puerto Rico fell for it. You know what I'm saying? Dominican Republic fell for it. Cuba fell for it. Parts of Colombia fell for it. Venezuela fell for it. Brazil with a whole different thing that they're not any better than this. So when we oppress them, when we suppress them as well, right? Making them feel less than, you see, they ain't nothing. They nothing. We are. And so the lighter you are, the better you rise. But the darker you are, the lower you hear the total pole. So this is historical. Like when I see how Dominicans talk about Haitians, it boils my blood. 
And I can see, because I have friends who are Haitians that be like, oh, you Dominican? And give me that look. I'm like, I'm not like my people. I'm not like my people. What my people did to oppress you instead of welcome you, instead of provide you resources, is terrible. You know, we're getting support from the United States. We're doing whatever. The, we're, we're stuck in the United States, if you will, if, if, if at, at this point. Because we want to be down so badly. We want to be European so badly. We want to do this so badly. We allow this access. But for people who fought for us, because the initial revolution that fought for us, we shunned them to the side. We've been like, you ain't ish. And that's not fair. And that's what we did in those countries. And that's exactly what's been done here. I'm going to bring these slaves. I'm going to mind mess with y'all. I'm going to tell y'all y'all not nothing without us. That if you do the work, you'll be something. And I'm going to keep y'all suppressed and oppressed. And so this is the image that they've made. When when we look at systemic racism, when we look at anti-blackness, look at the newspaper articles that were coming out back in the days. It was of black people looking like animals, literally like animals. Every movie that has come out from back in the days, how were they portrayed? Animals, beasts, hurting people, thieves, criminals, etc. And these are white actors, black facing, painting themselves, running after a woman to rape her, running after this. So this is what they're doing. They're infiltrating in the media and what we're seeing now. You see, we we too woke right now to fall for it because we got these to you know to fall for anything else. But back in the days when they didn't have that, there was no recording. This is history still continuing. This is the yeah, media but Jamili, they still are people. Back. They're still Latino, Latinos knowing the facts still do not care. At right, all because whatsoever. you know what? Because we think we're the <laughs> shit and we're not. And we're not. Because honestly, if it wasn't for the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that then transitioned that to the 1965 the Immigration, Immigration Act, Act. You, yeah. we wouldn't be here. We would not be here. And so this is what upsets me in having conversations. With, like, I've had to go back and forth with a lot of people, even my own family. I remember half of my family was like going for Trump and I, you know, I felt some kind of way. And I was, I was a little smart. So I was like, let me tell you something. If it wasn't for my father petitioning for all of y'all to come from DR, y'all would still be living in a little hut. So before you out here talk about you want Republican and you want this and you want this without understanding the facts, literally wearing rags on the side if my father didn't sacrifice because of the 1965 Immigration Act to have y'all here. Y'all can't make these decisions and talk about other people knowing that they've paved the way. So when we talk about anti-blackness, we're antiing ourselves too. At the end of the day, we're anti-ourselves too. But we so damn oppressed ourselves by the freaking oppressors that we think it's okay. So we're like, nah, but you know, I'm my, my maiden last name is Garcia. I'm a Garcia. No, I'm a Garcia. But if I step out in an interview and there's a Garcia and there's a Mick, Muff, Mick, Mick, whatever, she might get the job before me because you sizing me up right away. You're looking at me. You're looking at my body. You're looking at my hair. You're looking at what I'm coming. You're looking at my resume. You're looking at the schools I went to. And me and her could have gone to the same schools, but you're judging me right off the bat. And I don't have to be black for that to happen because it's happening to us. But the problem is that because of immigration and us coming into this country, we silence a lot of things. So we don't come out to fight. Because we don't want to get deported or we don't want to, you know, ruffle the feathers too much because we didn't ruffle the feathers in our own countries when the, when damn hell we were being oppressed. We, we allowed it to happen. We allowed them to tell us that black was terrible. Through here, you and the Dominican Republic did the same thing. For 30 years, you ruled the Dominican Republic and you infiltrated hate for, for the Haitians. 
You infiltrated hate for people who were dark. That and he's were, idolized. At, yeah. He's a hero in the Dominican he's culture. He's a hero. I don't know to who. Not to me. Not to me. <laughs> I mean, you go uptown, there's a lot of things with his name on it. I'm just talking yeah. about, like, those yeah. kind of facts. Like, you know, romanticizing yeah. him, yeah. if you will. Absolutely. And so you have people under the under an umbrella. Yo, you don't like tanning? I like tanning, you know, under an umbrella, that this and that. And even if you're trigueño, like, I've heard the most stupidest people, because I'm sorry, some of my people can be very stupid. But like, you don't say moreno. Mi amor, pero mira el color. Like, look at your skin color. What you talking about? You got African in you too. I had a cousin, you know, when I had my discovery of like, who are my ancestors? I was like, yo, because we African and Taino and European. My cousin was like, yo, we ain't African. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So when, when your co-producer was telling you about uh, this has been on a rampage, I decided to be sarcastic and petty as hell on my Instagram. And put, oh, look, where, where did we come from? Put up my 23 and me. I'm African. And actually, my percentage of Native American is much smaller than the comparison of Africans. I'm literally almost like 40. It was like 42% um, Spain and Portugal and 38% of African. The others were like Ashkenazi Jewish and... Yeah. Um, Sri Lankan, you know, all different things and 7% unknown. But do you yeah, see even that? if it's 1%, you're African. It's in you. <laughs> like, you. Know, like, 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 and it's like the denial with all the facts. And Thank it's like, wh wh why? Like, like, it is just so sad that but people I feel embarrassed. They feel but embarrassed but to be associated with 75% of Latino America. Those yeah. are the facts. 75% of Latino Americans that have some kind of African-American mm -hmm. descent inside of them will deny the fact that they have that. So I was reading that is the, sad. There was a CNN article that came out yesterday, right? And some of the percentages that came out in Pew Research says some Latinos identify as white, right? A quarter in the U.S. identify as Afro-Latino, Afro-Caribbean, or of African descent. Um, and they were talking about how Latinos do not acknowledge racism because you see more of the side of the immigration component. Um, but we don't do our research. We get so stuck on the damn Spaniard side or the Portuguese side that we think that that's the end-all, be-all. Because of the Latin time. media. The Latin exactly. media. 40 Look, years, not one black anchor. 40 not years, one. Not, not one black one. anchor. But not you, one but black you anchor. But you know something? The American men, right, that control the Spanish media, how are all the women portrayed? Sexy. Let's talk about what they're wearing. Sexy, heels, sexual. Exactly. Yeah, they're hypersexual. Exactly. Bottom line, But you line. look at yeah. Latino news and you're just like, you look at American CNN news and you're like, so what is that? So you being oppressed right there by the media as well. What are they saying? What are they saying? That this is what you, you have are. to you're be beautiful. Yeah, you have you're to look. You have, you have to look some kind of way. Yeah, exactly. What you're saying. Absolutely. You're a sex symbol at the end of the day. So when we're denying our roots, we're denying our blackness and having conversations. Like I was saying, when I first started dating my husband, you know, the cab driver in Spanish was like, why you with a black man? I said, well, why not? Well, but you don't want to be with your own. The no, audacity. because you have cheaters. Yes. I was like, no, the because you cheaters. Yes, because you cheaters, and I don't want to be with a Dominican man. And at the end of the day, you African too. Y'all could be cousins. Like, this is, it, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. When we go to DR, when my husband and I go to DR, people are looking at him like, 
curious. He Haitian, like, wait, where you from? But then when we see Haitians, they like, stop I say, like, yo, that's one of ours. That's one of ours. Now we a community. We all together. This mistreating each other because you think you're higher than, because you feel like you have a better status. Why? Do you know how how many inventors are of African descent and white Europeans stole, stole their stuff? Like literally stole whatever, like the invention. I, I can't even remember what the invention was. I, was. I was watching a show, but you're stealing from them because you think that they're not worthy of inventing something. And and you don't put it out there. They don't have it in history books that the first woman, you know, but look at the Egyptians graphic. who built the pyramid. I'm sure they weren't white. Thank you. <laughs> Pretty sure about that. that. They definitely weren't. Definitely weren't. Definitely I'm weren't. Go out on a limb. You know? Exactly. Definitely weren't. Jesus was not white either, but you, you know. know. What I mean? For Just real. Saying. And that geometry is stellar. So this day, mathematicians like, man, this is Listen. on point. Listen, I sometimes think I'm like, maybe they killed Jesus. I think they killed Jesus because I think he was like he was black. Jesus was black. And they was like, you ain't white, so we just gonna kill you. Like, you know, I'm just saying, like, you start thinking about all these things on how people mistreated others, and it makes sense. I looked at it. Have you seen, um, what is her name? Why am I forgetting her name? The one that invented the hot comb. Why am I, I just saw her, um, uh, I Madam CJ Walker. Uh, Madam CJ Walker. Walker. Yes. <laughs> they were. They had a Netflix series on her, and it's interesting. You know, she created like this hair thing and hot comb, et cetera, et cetera. And the the lady who she had competition with was um, mixed, so she was white and black, and she felt she was higher than because she was lighter than Madam CJ Walker. And made Madam C.J. Walker life hell. If Madam C.J. Walker wasn't as determined as who she was and got to the millions and, and all that stuff and didn't let this lady get to the middle of her. But when they showed that lady's story, she's actually the daughter of a slave master. And so, yeah, you got your lightness because they taught you that that was better. But at the end of the day, your story came from trauma. And that's what happened. Every black person story, our story, our ancestors' story came from trauma. When we talk about generational trauma and the things we go through, and this is me getting into my therapeutic social work element, we Which we're going to discuss as a matter. <laughs> we're going to discuss that too. You know, we're going to yeah. get. A, you know, there's a lot of there's a couple topics I want to touch on. You know, this was the first one. Yeah, go you know, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Because I, you I, know, I, um, yeah, no, you know, and I and I wanted to mention the fact also of the bleaching of the skin and you know the and Afro Latinos spending six billion dollars a year yeah. on those kind of products and it's just you know, but it all goes into this conversation. You know, we have all the facts. I don't understand why we have to be so scared. You know, and, and you know why we can't why we can't embrace you know that that part of our culture you know when we have all these facts you know right. and it's, it's like you said it, it, it's just a, a medley of oppression coming from all over the place coming from the media coming from the things that you're taught in in, in, in school in school the things mm -hmm. that you the, the people that you hang around with you know your your elders that speak this way and all those all that that horrible concoction has made the latino like embarrassed of their black well not all of us but like uh, uh, some of us naive. you know naive even even beyond yeah. embarrassment it's naive it i got here to where i'm at the status i don't want to be associated with that 
because that's what media has portrayed. That's what history books have portrayed. That's what they've infiltrated in our head with that. And me saying that is how people perceive blackness, which is hurtful. Black is beautiful. Let me tell you, like like I said, my son, his father, real trigueño. I was begging for my son to come out dark skin and not my skin. Like begging. I was like, God, and my baby come to you. Like it's, like, it's beautiful. Skin tone, melanin is beautiful. Embrace it. Why do we have to run from it? It's a gift God gave you. It is a beauty. It is an honor to be able to not have to worry about skin cancer. <laughs> yeah. You know, melanin is beautiful. And you know, you know what? And also, you know, before we end this conversation, um, well, this part of the conversation, um, you know, I just want to let the public know the, the words that we use to describe black people, whether they're offensive or not. Sorry. So that way they know whether they're being, um, you know, uh, uh, dehumanized or not. Um, like Moreno, like in Puerto Rico, when we say Moreno to us, it's just like, you know, describing a, a light skinned person is like, is there a negative connotation to that where you come from in DR? No, in DR, okay. my sister-in-law, yeah. um, her name is Morena. Her, well, her yeah. nickname, how she goes by yeah. is Morena. And so in the, in the salon, because her predominant clientele is African-American, she doesn't go by that. You know, she obviously goes by her first name, but in DR, everybody knows her Morena, Morena. You know, because it's a term of endearment, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Now, Negrito, I've had a lot of girls, Spanish girls, call me Negrito. You know what I mean? I never really took offense of it. I just thought of it as a, you know, darker-skinned Latino. But, like, I don't know. How is that stigmatized in the Dominican culture? Negrito is also kind of similar, but it has its, its little demeaning aspect to it. Because okay. we'll mostly say Moreno, but never, um, it'll be used as, it's a Negrito, I like with yeah. that kind of kind of face. Prieto, Prieto, I don't like. Oh, I don't yeah, like no. that word. No. You know, you hear that, no. there's a problem. And you then when saying? you and the only thing is, is like when you say Prieto, you're also combining it and using it and everything. Ay, ya estaba tan Prieto, 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 lo que sea, o una ropa bien. No, no, ropa de dulce negra. But yeah, Prieto is to describe your skin tone. Yeah. And the more prietos you add to it, it's like you darker. So it's a prieta, 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 prieta. Then, you know, you dark, dark, dark. Yeah. Okay. So it is kind of like a color situation. But still, if you're saying it in anger, it's something you may want to stay away from. You know what right. I mean? You may have mm -hmm. some negative connotations to it. Mm -hmm. Now, we know Cocolo, Moyo, Moyo, and Haitiano, which I think is the most disrespectful one. You yep. know what I'm saying? Like, you're calling yep. a whole race of, you know what I mean? It's like, and the race of people that liberated the Caribbean first. Thank you. It's like, it's like the oxymoron so there. It's just like, it's so, so ridiculous. Stupid. I'm like, my people, they just... Yeah. Ooh, well, then you know... Well, there you go, my people. Stay, you know, now you know the words to stay away from, which ones yeah. are no good. And Moyo, and you know, I don't think Moyo has been used in a very long time. Yeah. It's been yeah. years I haven't heard. Years I haven't heard that. Well, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, um, I still hear that, you know, uh, in some Latin circles I had to disassociate myself with way before this even, you know, before any of this transpired. Um, now, I also want to talk about you and working with uh, child abuse victims. And first and foremost, Beauty is Me, an amazing podcast. I'm going to be Thank honest you. with you, everyone <laughs> out there that's listening right now. Um, 
Please check out Beauteous Me. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. And I guess wherever else you get your podcasts. Everywhere. Um, that the, the podcast, I'm going to tell you something right now. If you, because I... Uh, I have to apologize. Sometimes I can be one of those like insensitive males, <laughs> but man, listening to this podcast really made me sympathize, sympathize, and un- and get a, a sense of understanding of what women go through on on so many different levels as a mother, as a lover, as a person dealing with any kind of illnesses, as, you know, because, you know, you're, you're, you're an expert in social work, so you bring that aspect of it, that psychological aspect, and saying that your job is about to get a whole lot tougher because oh, yeah. now they're talking about defunding the police and giving you guys a lot of the work that they had to do when it came to dealing with uh, people with mental health issues on the street mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Now they're talking about funding you guys to deal with those on-call situations just as if you would if it was like an ACS case but or we're anything doing it now matter. anyway yeah and that's what I'm saying <laughs> and I, you know and I think it's a beautiful thing because I mean you know you're giving too much responsibility to cops that aren't trained for these kind of situations they don't take those kind of classes they don't understand they don't do case studies they don't go out there into the field and do internships no. of, the, of you know uh, with, with people in that are suffering from mental health issues so i think that that's a great idea and i know there's a lot of people out there mad because the cops are being defunded but they have to understand the logistics of it there are some things that cops should just not be handling bottom line you, because they're, they're the not qualified that with Which when one? when we added the funding we took away from every school system so when there were like 3.5 million students let's just let's just say there were 3,000 students in one school and they added the resources to cops, but they took away a social worker just to add that resource. And, and you know, if it was another school that had maybe 20,000 students, they took away a school psychologist. They took away a counselor. They took away this because they added all these policing inside the school. So you took away the support for the kids. Like when we look at that video from that little girl in Florida who was five, six, seven or whatever that the police arrested her, like, are, are, are you kidding me? This girl has behavioral issues. She has trauma. She's experiencing something. When you have trauma, trauma sits in your body, and you don't know how to manage it. And kids, if we don't know how to manage it as an adult, imagine you getting a phone call, God forbid, you know, somebody you love passed away suddenly, got shot, or this happened, et cetera. Your body goes through an, a, a crazy equilibrium, and you don't even know. You're pacing. You, you, you holding your head. You don't know what to do. You... You know, some people light up cigarettes or do this or do that. And you just, you, you're out of your mind, right? You're out of your element. Imagine a kid who hasn't developed those skills because they're, they've experienced trauma. And so their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed. The trauma is pinging on here and it's minimizing from the forefront where they can make rational decisions because they haven't gotten there. You don't develop it until, you know, you're late, late teens. And so... We, the way the system treats, how they treated that police officer treated that black child, okay, in the school system in Florida was horrible. And, and I wonder how much they spent on police actions in that school instead of having a social worker, instead of having a guidance counselor, instead of having a school psychologist. And so when I work, the work that I do with kids, I work with kids as, as young as age five and as old as age 17, and even up to kids in 20, at 21, and I've been doing this for such a long time. And that's the START program you're talking about, yeah. correct? So, yeah, yeah so I, program, you know, just elaborate on it now that yeah. we're, on, we're on it. So yeah. 
I work with kids um, all across New York State. So if we want to talk about racial disparity, I even got white kids in my foster care system. So the conversations, and I'll tell you about my conversation with a little boy today, but um, I work with kids who've been traumatized, who've been sexually abused, physically abused, um, neglected, school neglect, um, neglecting of resources, uh, commercial sexually exploited and trafficked, so sex trafficked. Um, you name it, you know, I've, I've, nothing ever surprises me when I'm getting a new case, you know, kids, you know, from Yonkers, gang rape, you name it, like from so many different locations. And all of these, all these kids, not only are they fighting with systemically what they're going on at home, because there's so many microcosms, what you, what you experience at home, what you experience at school, what you experience at your community. So imagine if all of it is jacked up. Your house is jacked up because your parents are neglectful or using substances. The neighborhood you live in, everybody's in poverty. Everybody got something going on, right? The school you go to, you're being bullied. You got the odds all against you. Then here comes the Department of Social Services removes you. You in placement. Here's a whole other factor. So we add a layer of trauma to trauma to trauma to trauma. So how are you expecting these kids to navigate the system? Even if they never enter foster care, right? And you you still got the odds against you. A parent with mental illness, no resources, lack of resources, and a, and, and a community that's against you and bullying. You know what I'm saying? So when people act out, the system wants to come in, police wants to come in, come grab you up, knock you on the floor, et cetera, et cetera, because you're doing something that's aggressive. Where's the aggression coming from, though? The aggression is coming from the trauma, the lack of resources, the lack of love the lack of attention. And when I say resources, it could be as simple as food, simple as, as clothing, resources, being able to have a, a tutor, support with the school. When we look at kids who are failing, you know, I've, I've shared so many of my stories in my podcast because I keep it real. And so I experienced some significant sexual abuse and trauma in my childhood, right? And I was failing school. Nobody asked me. Nobody asked me what was going on. They kept labeling me as stupid. They kept adding me to resources. They kept saying I needed to see the guidance counselor. I needed a, a, a tutor. I needed this. I needed that. Nobody came and asked me what was going on internally that was affecting this. So there's so much that goes on that affects children and how they show up in school or the community. And so when we look at systemically also what's going on, I have kids from the upper, upper, upper counties who are white, right? And they come into my program and my, my staff are black and brown. And you got a Latina director, an Afro-Latina director. And so these kids will come and call staff the N-word. The other day, this kid told the staff the N-word, you, you be this, um, go back to Africa. So today, you know, he's, he's only eight years old, but he's, he's, he's a very bright kid. And so you have to have bright conversations. And so my conversations aren't like, you know what, you really shouldn't say that and you should apologize. My conversations were like, do you have a right to call somebody that? Your family didn't take this. We built this country. The, your, this country was stolen by India. So just going by history and explaining and explaining and explaining, I said, you're offending me as a director and, and saying that people need to go to Africa because I came from Africa. And having like simple questions, and I said, I mean, every day you're being taken care of by a black and brown person. There ain't a white person taking care of you. Do you think that's fair? Now you're going to go apologize to everybody. And he sure did. That little boy sure did apologize. I'm sorry for telling you this. I'm sorry for this. I was like, all right. And I don't want to hear it again. And it's like, they learn this stuff. Such a, That's what I'm saying. You learn they this learn, stuff at a young it. age. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. 
because there's been plenty of kids that we've had to watch that have triggered staff who who are white and they're like oh f you and and you and you and triggering the staff so you know you you picking at the wrong people who have racial trauma every day racial trauma every day is not helpful and now now i gotta watch this little white kid and you calling me this every day you're bringing me back to my ancestors days you know what i'm saying yeah. where, where, where black people were raising white people's children and so having these conversations is important every day systemically when we look at kids in foster care and especially because uh, i work in a residential when you work with kids in residential if we're not drilling into them on their trauma and helping them, you know we're preparing them for a second system. And you know what system is that? It's the jail system. And that's just the truth because you're being institutionalized here and your mindset is institutionalized so you're ready for the next institution. And every day, every single day, they're like, Ms. Garcia, you're going to come up on this field? Yeah. You are a black and brown kid in a white neighborhood, in a white setting, in a white system. Because your judges are white, your lawyers are white. And at the end of the day, the more you keep adding to these behaviors, the more you keep doing this and you think it's okay, destruction of property or fighting this or fighting that, the more ammunition you're giving them to keep you longer into the system. The more ammunition you're keeping them to label you. The more ammunition you're adding on to the legal components of the system. You know, like when Raise the Age happened with the laws that you can't try a 16, 17-year-old, um, depending on the criminal thing, I agree with it depending on the crime, you know, and I completely yeah. agree with it because of the kind of kids that I work with. I work with a lot of juvenile delinquents as well. And so there's trauma behind it. They're not coming well, I mean, out to act out. Jamili, I mean, the, the poorest demographic in the United States are children. Yes. If you, I keep telling people, if you start off on the right foot to get back on that foot to win this race called life, it's gonna be tough. What happens when an Olympian gets off on the wrong foot in the Olympics? It's rare that they win the race, and and people just do not understand how deep rooted and rotted the system is, and how yeah. there really is no way out. You it's know, that to fail when, you in so many circumstances. Like, you know, a lot of my social work friends, it's easy. They were like, um, defund the police, defund foster care too. Put more put more services into the communities. Put and, and it's the truth. Put more services into the communities. How do we help these families? How do we help these kids to prevent them? You know, there's some kids that yeah, you they need to be removed because if, if you being sexually abused by your father, your mother's watching and And you that, see these things and you see this is real. Yeah. Like people don't yeah. understand. A lot of them are living like animals, man. Yeah. You hear these stories in social work and you guys deserve so much money. I think you're one of the most underrated workforce, some of the most yeah. underrated workforce in the United States of America. I've been telling people this forever. I used to tell people you couldn't pay me enough to be a social worker, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, because you see the worst of the humanity. The worst of, the and worst let me tell you of humanity. It's not a black and brown issue because my white clients, this, this client that we had, um, trailer, okay, white, trailer, there was, he was naked when they found him, butt naked, bottles and bottles and bottles of alcohol in mom's home, trash thrown everywhere, glass broken and this is a kid who has severe mental health needs obviously being abused and neglected but he wasn't black or brown 
He sure wasn't. This was a white family, a white family. And he repeats because of his, his condition. He's repeating everything that happened in his house. You, you, you're not shit. I can't stand you. I hate you. This is everything the mom was saying to him. And we're hearing it. So, so when people sit out here and be like, black and brown people are taken from the system. No. Did we not see the statistics that it's actually more people who are on food stamps who are white? Well, the system is made to make to help everybody out. What difference does it make what colors we are? Right. You know, the but, problem but is... People, but people yeah. who don't know think that it's us abusing the yeah. system, which is adding more to the oppressive side. Exactly. That's a fact. That's a fact. It's adding because they, they they politicize it. That's the thing. They politicize it, and the next thing you know, all of a sudden, we're we're the bad guy. You know what I mean? And that's Absolutely. why we have to say what we say, and that's why we have to spit the real facts out. You know? But like on a human side, it's like man, like if somebody's in help, we help them. Yeah. Let's let's cultivate and develop the youth. Let's put them in positions to succeed. People, kids were being terrorized. I was being terrorized growing up in Harlem. I'm a I'm a quintessential Puerto Rican. I grew up in Spanish. Harlem and I'm one first generation Boricua. Yeah. You know what I mean? And during the stop and frisk ever, I was stopped and frisk, arrested a kid that graduated from college, such as myself, that was grinding. You know what I mean? Yeah, I had a smoking habit, but come on, like that's, that's basically illegal now. Right? Yeah. You fit the description. You fit the description, right? So what's yeah. the description? Let's say what's the description. Well, I mean, the description is a, 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 a minority. Thank you. A minority, dark skin, uh, with, with with some, you know, wearing a hoodie or wearing some kind of cool clothes or wearing Jordans or wearing Nikes or whatever the case may be. Some, you know, exactly. And, and, and you know, and it's unfortunate. And I was happy, you know, I'm not happy. I was lucky, fortunate, you know, that something bad didn't happen to me, right. man. By the grace of God, right. You know, and, and that's why a lot of people happened. don't understand. We were terrorized. We grew up scared of the cops. We don't yeah. grow up as a, like, you telling me that a cop is supposed to be nice to you and a part of your community? That is such a foreign ideal to me. And I hate when I have friends that I grew up with in the same projects acting now as adults because they feel like they live in a better circumstance, you know? <laughs> like, oh, no, like, I'm like, yo, bro, we used to run from the cops together. We right. they were never our friends. Like, did you forget? Did you forget? Like, because you moved out the project, you kind of forgot? I hope you ain't forget. You know, like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know when it became cool to live in fantasy. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why that's why I love your podcast. I'll be honest with you. Thank you know, you. I, it's unfortunate I don't I don't get to listen to more podcasts because I'm actually you know because I'm making okay, right, one. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and you know, mine has video, and I got to edit, and I got to oh, market. Oh yeah, it's you a know, lot and I get caught up in all these yeah. other things. Mm -hmm. But you know, like you know, listening to your podcast, you really get a grasp on on reality, and mm -hmm. that's what because you know I'm tired of listening to fantasy and people politicizing everything and making. everything everything about i'm like when does things start becoming about your best interest and about right and wrong mm -hmm. some things are just right some things are just wrong some things just don't feel good you know and you have to I, and you have to be able to speak up on it you know when yeah. we talk about systemically i was a few years ago i was pissed off at, at the judicial system because i had a set of white kids that were in my program their parents had substance abuse issues those little boys went home faster than when another kid that came at the same time from the system. And I was so vocal about it. And I was, I was like, so 
they got discharged today because they white, basically. Oh, well, why would you say that? Because I have this kid who came at the same time that they both came, and the parents have about the same issues, but because they white, they're going home. And what happened? They weren't ready to go home, but they fought it. They had lawyers. They had this. The kids ended up coming back in the system because the parents weren't clean. So you out here doing these things, endangering these kids because what? They're white. They feel entitled. They had all these things. But you, meanwhile, this other mother who's fighting for sobriety, you know what I'm saying? Because she's black and brown, going into rehab, doing what she got to do, and you keep asking her more. Well, we need more urine. Well, we need, need more toxicology. Well, we need more this. Well, we need more that. Like, we need human people to really sit here in, in the work that we do to fight for our, our people. You know, that, yeah, justly, there are some parents where I'm just like, you ain't got a grandmother send your baby to? Because I don't think you're going to make it, my mom. I don't think your baby going to go back to you. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just the truth. But you try to fight the best that you can. And I, it's one thing that I always say to the kids, I don't ever want you in my program for a long time, and I don't keep them for a long time. I bust my behind, and I get my staff behind it to really reduce the amount of time they're there because then you get institutionalized. And and the longer that I've seen kids bounce from one institution to the next, 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 unfortunately I had a former client pass away a few months ago in a jail. And that was hard. That was hard to hear because it was like, you know how many conversations I have with that boy? Manage your aggression. What can we do to support you? This aggression is going to get you. But Jamili, when you don't have any, when you don't have any help, when you don't have somebody, you know, some people need cheerleaders, man. Yeah. You know, some people, some people need somebody there with them. You know what I mean? And these kids are growing up with no parents or, or no parents parent. that have issues themselves. But this is decades of deterioration. People yeah. don't understand. Not all of us are lucky enough to grow up with our family. No. You know, to have and, a support and, and system. Think, and I'll tell you something. I take a non-conventional approach as the director in that program because I'm not just, okay, well, I'm here to run the program and that's it. I, I, when when one of my kids is acting up, I talk to you as if you were my child. I'm like, come here. What are you wearing? Go change your clothes. Go do this. Why are you not doing schoolwork? Why I got an email from the teachers that y'all not finishing your remote learning or y'all were all acting up, y'all. And I treat them like a parent. And it's interesting. We had some kids who got in trouble. And the officers came up to serve them papers or whatever, and they, they heard me ripping them a new one. Like, I didn't care who was there. He, he brought it up to me. And this was several months ago. He was like, you really treat your kids as if you're their mother. And I said, yeah, because they don't have a parent right now. And they need to understand these different guidelines, they, these different bylaws, and what the, the system is going to eat them up. The system is going to eat you up. And if I'm not having these conversations because no one had it with you before, I'm going to have it with you. I'm going to tell you what the reality is and what you're going to face. They need to learn structure. Yeah. You need to learn structure. And Without caring, structure, because you can't I do succeed. It caring. Yeah. yeah, and I do it in a caring way, and they know they're like, all right, can I get a hug? Can I get this? Can I? You have to be. It, it, it's that tough love. I will rip you a new one, and the next day be like, yo, you've been doing so good. What you want from Amazon? I'll order you whatever you want. You know, just to kind of keep them motivated and engaged. Well, just to give them inspiration. I, I mean, I really yeah. appreciate what you guys do out there on the field, man. And I, and I really hope that that after everything that we've been going through lately and, and the unfortunate deaths, I hope these deaths lead to some major, major changes in our yeah. urban communities. Yeah. I really hope so. Yeah. You know, changes that'll, that'll, that'll develop t uh, uh, healthy relationships. And you talk about toxic relationships on one of your podcasts. And, you know, and... and and 
I look at it like it's not only toxic. You could have toxic relationships with your friends, with your family members. You know, we, you know, I feel like there's less toxicity in more affluent areas. Like they actually, you know, like, I don't know. Like, you know, I just, you know, I don't know. You know why I kind of disagree? Because um, where we live and (laughs) my son is like a handful of colored kids in his school. Yeah. Handful. And he was part of a basketball team. Um, Like it was like a Saturday clinic or whatever. And I heard this little white boy cussing. When I tell you cussing at his mama cussing, I'm not going to do this and I don't feel like. I stood there and my son was like, mom, don't say nothing. Mommy, don't say nothing. Bobby, don't say nothing. Bobby, don't say nothing. Because the entitlement, the disrespect for the parents and the parents letting them do everything. You think there's no toxicity? When these kids, when I look at the rate, because I speak to the officers out here. I speak to different people out here. Oh, there's, there's, there's a marijuana problem over there in, in that school? Oh, so there's another kind of problem over there? Okay, I'm glad to know that it's not just our black and brown people. And that's just been my attitude lately. Like, don't be throwing glass stones over here because my, my son freshman, I think it was like eighth grade, he told me one of his friends went to rehab. Rehab at eighth grade? It's yeah, crazy. I mean the opioid crisis has been hitting hitting hard the white community, man. <laughs> like rehab, I was like, maybe that ain't your friend. Please don't be friends with him. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't. Yeah. That ain't your friend. Like even yeah. he sees it. He's like, yo, they're so disrespectful. Their moms. I know that wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, <you're right. laughs> I know you wouldn't talk to me like that. But it, you see it. You see it. They just do a better job at hiding it. Why? Privilege. White privilege lets you hide a whole lot. A whole lot. And it's, well, it's hopefully, that. hopefully we can start closing that gap and getting some privileges and getting some money coming our way for our educational systems. Absolutely. Because, you know, I mean, getting one third of what, what, what affluent people get, it's not cool. You know it's what I'm about, saying? It's about voting. One thing that I learned, um, I don't know if you mm-hmm. follow Brujas, from Brook, Brujas of Brooklyn on Instagram. They have some Sounds crazy. fantastic. No, I haven't. Yeah, no, I don't follow them, a, but I, I will. They have yeah. amazing material. So they had done a talk and they were like, you know, educating people on um, voting. And what's interesting is like, not even on voting, but on the census. So you know how we put, what's your race? Black, white, other. You know, some of Well, us you have to fill out the census. You get more money in your areas that way. Yeah. So if you, you, if you fill out other, it goes automatically to white. Mm. And that was so impacting because when we think about where do we belong, right? We think about race, but I'm not black, but I'm not white. I'm other because I'm Cuban. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm Dominican, right? You clicking other. All them services that should be coming to me, I'm going to white. Interesting. I was mind boggled with it. And I was like, oh, so this is why it's important for us to get to know who we are. Because it it matters in every single step of the way. Are you offensive? Well, you know, that takes people going back, going, going into reality, being comfortable with what it is that they are. And that's just a psychological situation that hopefully changes. But, you know, that's that's the human being themselves they have to want to be, to be comfortable with that now my, my uh the last topic of conversation that i want to discuss you know is um domestic violence and you know your work with that during the coronavirus pandemic and the rise in cases so no, i did like, an ig live with one of that? my friends mm-hmm. um who mm-hmm. runs a domestic violence shelter and clinic mm-hmm. and um what's it called the, um well, I can't say the name of it because it is um, 
Oh, it's oh, anonymous. Okay. Yeah. Well, the name of the shelter is anonymous, but the other program is called Hope's Door, and it's in Westchester okay. County, so that's where she works at. But okay. we had an awesome conversation talking about domestic violence and how it's on the rise, and how they, the work that they've had to do in her clinic, um, on the back end with elemental health, is a lot of phone calls checking in, giving people like secret phones to call, check in with their mental health clinicians because they can't, they couldn't actually make it to the DV locations, like the offices or the shelters. Um, but the rise, of course, because now if you're in a intimate partnership, right, and you're together and you're the sole provider and now you haven't worked for months. So imagine when you were working and you were frustrated, you were beating my ass, right? So now you ain't working. Now you're even more frustrated because you got your own set of issues. Now you triple beating my ass. And so now you're really making me feel like nothing. Now you're really taking even more resources from me because I depended on you. And so with, with domestic violence, it's all about a resource thing, right? What can I take from you to make sure that you need me? You ain't ish without me is, is the kind of model. And so this pandemic, scary enough, there's a rise in kids being sexually abused right now and not being able to tell nobody. Kids being physically abused at home, not being able to tell nobody. And, and intimate partners male or female, where it's, it's just on a rise because where are you going to run to? Who, who are you going to run to when everyone is quarantined and nobody wants you home? Nobody wants you in their place. Or you can't do this. Or, you, or they took away your access or resource to even a mask. So you can't even go to the supermarket to be like, code word, call somebody. You don't have a mask. So you can't go into the Walgreens or the CVS or whatever. And so I'm hoping that um, with the changes, that are occurring with the curve going down, that more work is, is going to be done. I know there's so many conversations with the National Domestic Hotline and so much work out there to really try to strategize different ways. So now like texting, texting, you know, some people have phones, um, a lot of people have phones, even though they're in an intimate partner violence relationship, but even like secret text, even a, a separate app, like things that are, are being handled so that you can check in and be like, I'm okay, this is what's going on, or I need this, or, you know, preparing for your next move, because um, it's, it's, it's dangerous out there. And, and since this pandemic, I've just prayed for a lot of different populations, even girls that are sexually trafficked right now and going through multiple yeah. pimps, et cetera. So it's, it's been a lot. What's what spawned your interest, like you know, like in this kind of public service in social work? Like, how did you become a social worker? Like, you know, what what so, what made you want to what made you want to go in this path? So interesting enough, and obviously it always has to come back to Latino roots, right? Your Latinx roots. So I was a sophomore, my first semester sophomore year in college, and I had this professor in my college, Doctor Hernandez, and I will never forget. She walked in that classroom with a pencil heels beautiful afro latina and i was just in her class it was a it was an elective a social work elective and i was like i want to be like you when i grow up <laughs> and um you know that class just showed all the differences because i started off as a psych major but i didn't feel connected to psychology and yeah. i felt connected to the grassroots work and what came from it and advocacy and helping and changing policies and changing laws and systems. And so in taking that that class, which was like an intro to it, I fell in love. I fell in love. And I've always known that I wanted to work with um, children, mostly adolescents. Um, that's, that's where my niche is. Like I love working with as badass as teenagers can be or portrayed to be. I love working with them. You know, they, they feel misunderstood. 
but I love advocating for them. And I love advocating for people in general. And there's always what we're called wounded healers. I have my own story. I have my story of, of growing up in Washington Heights, multiple siblings in poverty, having to wear hand-me-downs, um, going through sexual abuse and trauma at a young age. So there's so many things. And then into adulthood, losing a brother to substance abuse. So there's so much to me in, in the components in, in knowing that this is my destiny and this is um, the work that I love to do in advocating and supporting and providing those, those therapeutic services to people. Now, what would you tell you know, a young lady or a man who has been sexually abused and can't get these kind of resources to, to, to try to fight back, you know, that feeling so, of inadequacy. So a few things. Um, own your story. You know, a sexual abuse and trauma can debilitate you if you allow it to. It can own you if you allow it to. Owning your story is not to say that it was okay, that what happened to me was okay, but that this is a journey that I went through and you're going to get help and healing. And and a lot of root work has to be done with it. And part of it is also forgiving yourself. Because one thing that we do as sexual abuse survivors is beat ourselves up all the time. I shouldn't have, um, they didn't believe me, the X, Y, and Z, forgive yourself, forgive yourself. And there's hope and healing and talk to someone. I didn't realize my story until I actually had to write about it as my college essay, my college entry, where the trauma relived and like they asked some kind of question. And I was like, oh, I went through this. I didn't share my honest story until adulthood and, and telling my parents who it was and my siblings who it was and owning that part of it. But being able to, to share my story, to heal my story has been amazing and uplifting because I could have gone down so many different paths and and I did do a lot of self-destructive things in my adolescence absolutely promiscuity you you name it you name it um but get the help don't feel like you're alone because you're not alone there's so many people who have experienced it you're not alone you're not alone you're not crazy um this was not done intentionally to you you're not just an, you know, a person who's not worthy, you're worthy, you're loved, you're beautiful, you're amazing, you're smart, you're talented, and you can do this and you're not, you're not alone. There's a community out there. Now, what if you reached out to someone, you know, and, and this has happened to you, you reach out to someone and they don't believe you because that happens, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it could be your parent, you know, like, how do you and, deal with that? And that's okay and, because that's there. I've, I've talked about this in my podcast. It's not saying what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. And so sometimes when someone doesn't believe the narrative, and I've seen that a lot in situations of incest where the parent doesn't want to believe that their other child could have hurt their other child, right? Um, is that understanding what happened to that parent? What happened to my aunt? Or what happened to my, my mom or whatever that we keep looking to the side? Because we do that a lot in the Latino culture. We'll talk, we'll talk shit about anti-blackness or whatever, but we'll look the other way. Well, we know that Uncle Timmy likes to be the only pedophile yeah. looking at all the young girls, yeah. right? Yeah, but it's a fact. It's a it's fact. It's a fact, though. But it's okay if they don't believe you because it's your story. It's your story to tell. It's, it's what you've experienced. And if people turn around, it's, it's something in them that they're trying to protect or hide or do this to. So when someone is saying, oh, I don't believe you, that couldn't have happened. 
there's something that they want to hide and protect. And that's on them. It's not on you. You feel liberated. You told your story. They didn't believe you. That's on them. It's not on you. Yeah, because that could become a burden on your shoulders, man. It does. And then you start hard. blaming yourself again. Oh, you see, and this. It's not. It really is not. It is the most liberating thing. Like, you, you didn't want to believe me? Oh, wow. This happened to me, and I know what happened to me. And that's okay. Well, Miss Whitfield, it has <laughs> been an absolute pleasure. Where can we find you doing your thing? Please talk yes, to us. Yes. Social media. What's up with the podcast? Who's coming up? Duh. What's happening? So, actually, I'm dropping a new episode tomorrow. It's on divorce and being the non-custodial parent for a mother. Not for, you know, right? Because men are usually the non-custodial parents. But what about I don't even know what mother? that means. I'll be honest with you. Could you so put me on real quick? No, no, no. That's I fine. don't have so any like, kids. <laughs> so, usually, like, if a man and a woman yeah. are not together and y'all had a kid, yeah. who, who does the kid usually go live with? The mom. Right. So, now, this okay. is a, a podcast on a, the reverse situation. The kids didn't go live okay. with the mom. They went to go live with the dad. And how that okay. mom was shunned in all mother communities. Like, how dare you? You abandoned your kids. And that's not what it was. And so um, that's the episode that's dropping. And there's a whole slew of episodes that are out there that you guys could check out. It's Beauteous Me, B-E-A-U-T-E-O-U-S-M-E. And it's on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Um, you can find me on Lipson, on Stitcher, etc. And my Instagram is at beauty b-e-a-u-t-y underscore in underscore behavior that's on my instagram and um why is it beauty and behavior because that's actually the definition of jamili so everything is all full circle <laughs> oh man love it thank you so much miss whitfield for joining our podcast thank today you, and angel. everyone out there go check out that podcast it's fire beauty it's me don't miss it and if you're a dude Trust me, it'll help enlighten you and actually <laughs> fix your relationships with a lot of females, man. I'm telling you. Yes, yes. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you so much so for dropping much. by. I really appreciate it. You take Thank care of yourself, you. all right? You take care. All right, ciao. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my interview today with licensed clinical social worker Jamili Whitfield. And don't forget to listen in on her podcast, Beauteous Me. It is fire, and I recommend it to everybody. Check it out. It's dope. And it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts, just like the Angel of Words podcast. Now, folks, if you want to continue viewing what I'm doing on social media, don't forget to at me at Angel of Words, E-N-T, all one word. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. <laughs>